How the Icelandic Saga Should End, January the 14th, 2010. Iceland is famous for its sagas, but the latest one is truly dramatic. The balance sheets of its privatised financial sector grew from twice to ten times gross domestic product in five years. In the absence of a lender of last resort, this story had to end badly. In the panic of 2008, it did. Because Iceland was a member of the European Economic Area, its banks were allowed to set up branches freely. To raise money, Landsbanki, one of Iceland's now-collapsed banks, set up an internet bank, Icesave, which gulled depositors by offering attractive interest rates. Under the European Union Directive, Iceland also had an obligation to establish a deposit insurance scheme, which it did through a levy on those banks. Then came the collapse. Some Icelanders blame Gordon Brown, Britain's Prime Minister, for pulling the plug on their banks. That is unreasonable. Competent observers had long concluded that the financial system was a house of cards. It was sure to collapse in a panic. Less unreasonable is the complaint over the UK's use of a section of its anti-terrorism laws to freeze assets. But some such action was justified. Since the banks had turned Iceland into a hedge fund with massive short-term foreign currency liabilities used to finance risky long-term assets, the economy was doomed. According to the September 2009 economic survey by the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, between 2007 and 2010, the fall in real consumption will be close to a quarter and that of domestic final demand almost 30%. This is a depression. The burden of debt and loss of purchasing power are worsened by the collapse of the corona, which has lost more than half its value against the euro since July 2007. So far, so bad. But for ordinary Icelanders, it gets even worse. The British and Dutch government take the view that the taxpayers of Iceland have a duty to refund the amount promised by Iceland's collapsed deposit insurance fund. The total claim by the UK is £2.35 billion and by both countries together €3.9 billion. Euros. The latter is now some 50% of Iceland's shrunken GDP. In the UK context, this will be equivalent to a demand for £700 billion. It is not hard to imagine how far Mr Brown would get with the suggestion that the UK should accept such a debt to refund depositors in foreign branches of bankrupt UK banks. This, then, is the background to the decision by Olafur Ragnar Grimson, Iceland's president, to put the latest version of an agreement negotiated under duress to a referendum. Lord Miners, the UK city minister, has stated that if the Icelandic people were to reject the deal, they would, I quote, effectively be saying that Iceland does not want to be part of the international financial system, end of quote. After their recent painful experiences, Icelanders may wonder why that is so worthwhile. But without agreement to repay a $10 billion rescue plan funded by the International Monetary Fund and Nordic countries is now in doubt. So do the ordinary Icelandic taxpayers have a legal obligation to meet the liabilities of their collapsed deposit insurance fund? The answer to that is, to say the very least, that it seems to be very far from evident. Moreover, any British or Dutch depositors who thought their money was safe because the government of Iceland guaranteed it were mad. Do Iceland's taxpayers have a moral obligation to pay this loan? My view is no. 
The delusion that finance was the path to riches was propounded by countries that should have known far better. I cannot blame Icelanders for succumbing. I certainly do not want generations of Icelanders to bear the cost. The final and in truth most important question is whether these demands are reasonable. After all, in every civilised country, it has long been accepted that there is a limit to the pursuit of any debts. That is why we have introduced limited liability and abolished debtors' prisons. Asking a people to transfer as much as 50% of GDP plus interest via sustained current account surplus is extraordinarily onerous. Against this, the UK government argues that it is offering a lengthy grace period and an interest rate that is close to the cost of funding for the UK Treasury. Also argues that as much as 90% of the repayment it seeks could come from liquidation of Lund's Bankey's assets. Yet the obvious answer to the latter point is this. If the assets of the bank are that valuable, why not write off the debt in return for the claims on these assets? That will be a generous gesture. It is more importantly one that would do much to improve the morale of a battered and vulnerable little country. Threatening such a country with destruction, as Lord Miners has done, is simply shameful. The UK and the Netherlands should stop this self-righteous bullying at once. Yet they and everybody else must learn the really big lesson here. The combination of cross-border banking with generous guarantees to creditors is unsustainable. Taxpayers cannot be expected to write open-ended insurance on the foreign activities of their banks. It is bad enough to have to do so at home.